and welcome to Rewildology, the podcast that explores conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell Norman, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. Now that the world is opening back up post-COVID, many of us are looking to fill our travel calendars with new adventures. Surely many of you are considering hitting the open seas and booking a cruise to a gorgeous destination. Alaska, the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, Iceland, the Galapagos, the list goes on and on. But being the savvy traveler that you are, I know you've heard about the many environmental and sustainable problems that plague the cruise line industry. For example, gargantuan ships the size of hotels that overwhelm small port towns to give their guests, quote, cultural experiences, oil spills, and insane carbon emissions, to name a few. With all of these problems in mind, you might be inclined to skip a cruise altogether and book a safari or visit your state's national park. While these aren't bad ideas, today I want to offer you a story of hope that yes, it is possible to book a cruise that is sustainable and with a company that is leading the pack in green sailing. To teach us about sustainable cruising, today we are sitting down with Daniel Sheldam, CEO of the Herta Gruten Group based in Oslo, Norway. Daniel's love for travel and sailing began at an early age when his father would take him down to the docks in Oslo to see the company's famous ships come into port. After serving in the army, Daniel began working for a local airline to make ends meet and realized he had a strong passion for travel. After several years in the industry and with a huge dose of courage, Daniel approached the group's board and asked to be the CEO. After some deliberation, he was chosen as the company's CEO and has been leading the charge in green cruising practices for over a decade. Daniel and I have such a fun and insightful conversation exploring why he decided to pursue becoming the CEO of the Hertegruten Group company why the company made sustainable practices one of their top priorities, innovations his team is leading for sustainable cruising, science that is being performed aboard the ships to learn about the environment, complete with a shout out to a former guest on the show, what to look for when booking your own cruise, and so much more. Being in the conservation tourism industry myself, I am so grateful to finally sit down with someone that could show me that yes, cruising can indeed be sustainable. I have so much more hope for the future for the cruise line industry, and I hope that today's conversation will do the same for you. All right, friends, here's my conversation with Daniel. Well, hi, Daniel. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today and chatting and meeting the entire Rewildology community. It's so awesome you're stateside and we had an opportunity to sit down. So before we get to what you're doing today, I know your journey had to have been super winding. So please tell me, where did your journey begin and how did you get to today? Thank you for inviting me, Brooke. It's great to be uh, on your podcast. And my journey in life has, has not been a straight line. It's uh, been taking a lot of opportunities that's come my way. Uh, actually, I've tried to create opportunities to come my way. They haven't been coming along, uh, floating on a boat or anything. So I used to work for an airline. I was part of the startup team of a low-cost airline in, uh, in Europe. I was 35 years old and I'd been there for 10 years and I started looking around for other things to do. And then I found this beautiful company, an iconic company in, in Norway, but with a thick layer of dust on it. It's been, it had been loss making for 20 years. Not much had happened. And I thought that's a fantastic challenge to take on. So I approached the chairman. I said, you know, I want to be the new CEO of this company. And then I became the CEO. So, so that's the story behind why I'm here today. Wait, 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 wait. So. You just approached them and be like, I want to be your CEO. Where did you get the courage to do that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, I had a great job. It was, it was a fantastic job. So I, I didn't have to find a new job. But I figured if I'm, if I'm going to do something else, I, I want to work on, on something that is meaningful, something that I can get a passion for. And, and something which is not going to grow by 1.5% annually and, you know, I'd just be a caretaker. I wanted to create some real change. 
And then why not do it in a company that had been existing since 1893 and, you know, wasn't performing very well. So uh, that's really appealed to me. It was an interesting story. I actually contacted the chairman multiple times through the switchboard at his office and they refused to, to, to connect me to him. And finally, I managed to convince, to, to convince him to take a meeting and uh, we sat down and that, that was the start of this journey. Wow. And were you always drawn to travel? You said you were an airline before. And I, I feel like people in our industry, we're just like filled with wanderlust from the beginning. Was it the same for you? Or why did you decide to go into this field? It's, uh, it's a bit of a coincidence, actually. I always loved traveling. And I still love traveling. And I used to work as an officer in the army. And then I started in business school. And I didn't have a lot of money because I was used to getting my very nice salary in the army. And suddenly I was left without the salary and became a student. So I, in order to have a social life, I started working at the airport. And I was at the gate seeing all the people going to all these nice, cool places around the world. And I was there dreaming about going to the same places. And, um, and that got me into a passion of, of the travel industry. So, so that's the reason for, for this industry. It could have been many other places, but uh, I am very passionate about the industry. Oh, I could not agree more. People probably listening to this podcast are like, Brooke, will you shut up about conservation travel? No, we're going to keep going. Because for me, like a little bit of background too, is like I come from the biology side. So to me, it is an answer to protect our wild spaces. So I came from it from like a different angle. And it's amazing how when we get into it, how we see the possibilities. And it sounds like you did as well, especially for this company. So maybe, maybe that's a perfect segue. Could you maybe take me like, why, why them? I mean, you, it sounds like you were really passionate and adamant on switching your career and going to this particular company. Why? What was it about it that you were so drawn to? So, so Hukdurutten is an iconic company in, in Norway. It has operated the coastal route since 1893. And it's such an important part of, of the culture in, in Norway. Every Norwegian feels they have a share in, in this company. And when I was a kid, my, my father on Sundays used to take me down to the port to look at the ships. And we'd look at the Hukdurutten vessels that was in the port every day. There was two of them, and I traveled with them as a kid. And I, I don't think you can find any Norwegian that don't have some sort of relationship to, uh, to this company. And, and I wanted to, to make it stand out on the international arena. I saw the trends of sustainable tourism. I saw the trends towards going off the beaten track. I'd been making a living sending people with low-cost airline routes to places they didn't know existed because the fare was low. Um, and the commoditization of travel created interest towards off the beaten path places. And, and that's one of the things that, that draw me to this company, to, to, to make something uh, out of this on the international arena, make it larger and make us more known and, and do some proper things. And not the least, I also wanted to make it profitable. Which is important because if you have any sort of big mission, you have to keep the money coming in as well. Right? Yeah, it's a, it's a very tight link with, uh, with, you know, being a profitable company and being able to make investments. And after 20 years of, of being loss making, when I joined in 2012, it was a dire need of investments in, in the company. Mm. And with that, so one of the big Topics of today is sustainable tourism, like you, you had just mentioned. And I want to ask why, essentially, because if you're coming to a company that is potentially just it's not really doing well profitability wise, there are lots of ways that you can take a cruise line and make it profitable that might not be the most sustainable. So why, why was this a big aspect when you took over and wanted to move the company forward? So. One of the things that, that really struck me coming into this business, I, and I have to be honest, I, I was in, you know, I, I, I made a living, again, as I said, sending people to places that they didn't know existed because the fare was low um, in the aviation sector. And, and I was not an environmentalist when I joined this company. I am now. And what opened my eyes 
for the importance of this topic was looking at the coastline we sailed, looking at the areas we sailed to in the Arctic, in the high north, Antarctica, and looking at the impact of climate change that was happening in front of my eyes. So I could be on the bridge on one of our ships uh, with our very experienced captains and having a morning coffee as I normally do when I'm on board of our ships. And we would, we would look at the glacier. And the glacier would be miles and miles away from us. And the captain would say, you know, Daniel, when I started in Turtiruten 35 years ago, the glacier used to be here where we're laying right now. Oh, my God. So, so it's just a massive amount of melting of glaciers, melting of the ice. And, you know, it's around the poles that we see the changes to our planet, the first. It, it's like a bellwether for, for the change that, that's happening. And I also spend a lot of time on the beaches along the coast and the beaches of Svalbard and seeing the massive amount of plastic waste mm. that, that just floods the beaches make me really, really scared about what I saw. So, so I, I went from being a very, very serious businessman that was uh, pretty much about profits and also creating a good product and taking care of our guests, but to really start to, to feel passionate about this topic. And I also met a lot of colleagues in this great company who had been working in the company for years, who were super passionate about this topic and who made me aware of all the things we could do to improve as a company. And even, even at the time, we were doing a major turnaround of the company, trying to make it profitable. We did not fall for the temptation to cut costs on emissions. We rather invested mm. in reducing emissions and reducing our footprint. And have you started to see a return on that? Like what, I guess, I guess from that moment, maybe, maybe let's take it back like 10 steps. So around when was this self-realization happening or like your colleagues are like, yes, finally, we get to talk about this stuff. Around when do you think that the sustainability really started to be the focus for you guys? So, so it started pretty quickly to become the focus because what I, what I did when I joined the company was to be a lot out in the field, a lot out amongst our crew members. Uh, with our guests, uh, I worked in the expedition team. I was pretty much everywhere in the business talking to our fantastic employees and learning. So I guess this was a, a journey that started pretty early for me after I joined the company. I'd say our strategy, we made some good strategic choices in, in those days, but our strategy really uh, started emphasizing this around seven, eight years ago when we started investing in new technology and starting really putting money behind this, this strategy and really making it part uh, of, of the journey. And, and I'd love to say that, you know, this is uh, my vision as the group CEO and everyone does what I tell them to do. But this <laughs> is what I'm most proud of is that this is very much a journey that is fueled by all the great people in the company. And they've been, they've been impacting a lot of the decisions we've been making along this uh, journey, such as such as being the first cruise line or major travel company in the world to, to ban single-use plastic. Mm. It, it came at a massive cost, but this was our crew members who really, really drove that mission and put me on the spot, saying, you know, Daniel, you can't be proud of leading this, this uh, company unless we do something about the plastic problem ourselves. And I challenged them back and say, what can we do? And we did a six-month project and working with suppliers all over the, all over the world to find replacements for the single-use plastic. This, this is perfect, too, because I would love, please keep down this train of thought. So like, like I mentioned before, I am from conservation tourism, but I don't know as much about sustainable tourism on ships. So what are some other big projects that you've all tackled? Like, how do you separate yourself from the pack on actually leading sustainable cruises. Just please, like, just spew all the awesome. Oh, yeah. Done. Uh, I will, I will. Let's start with tech. Uh, we built the world's first battery-powered cruise ship. Mm. Uh, and we took inspiration from the car industry uh, on electric cars. We took uh, inspiration from uh, the Norwegian transportation sector that's been heavily electrified over the years. Uh, and we wanted to bring this to our, our expedition ships. And we built uh, the Royal Amundsen and the Fleet of Nansen, uh, the world's first battery hybrid powered cruise ships. 
we're retrofitting battery technology to our older vessels. So we're not saying, okay, this is only going to come when we build a new ship. We're also doing it on our older vessels. And we've, um, we're, we're cutting significant amount of emissions by, by introducing new technology to our fleet. And we also made an ambition, which is, which is not going to be just a dream project. We're actually putting science behind a project now to have the first zero emission ship by 2030. Wow. It is not possible right now, but with technology development um, and the, the pre-project that we just finished with, we certainly believe that we will be able to exercise this by, by 2030. Uh, we made some conscious decisions. We used no heavy fuel oil, you know, this syrupy, toxic waste that fuels most of the world's cruise ships. Uh, we're actually advocating a ban on heavy fuel oil in the areas that we say. As I mentioned, we removed single-use plastic. We're very focused on creating positive value in communities we, we, we sail through, buying locally, hiring locally. We don't buy frozen food in a turnaround port way off where we sail. We actually source locally fresh food as much as we possibly can. We're supporting science. So we use us, our ships as a platform for scientists. We use our guests um, as citizen scientists collecting data. And actually, uh, our ships have a consecutive series of data points on the water temperature on the Norwegian coast going back to the 1930s, uh, which scientists can, can get access to. Uh, we want to create climate ambassadors of our guests. So when they return from these beautiful areas we sail to, they know more about them and they also know what is creating the challenges in these areas and how fragile they are. And lastly, uh, we also run land-based businesses in one of them on, on Svalbard, which is as close as you can get to the North Pole. Uh, it's the northernmost city on the planet, Longyearbyen. We have hotels, restaurants, shops, tour operation. We, we had, we, we've, on this journey, we've had to overcome a lot of challenges. So Longyearbyen, beautiful place, uh, is covered by coal. And when you're going to introduce new technology in a place that is covered by coal, and we can change that because that's the government's decision, we wanted to introduce the world's first battery snowmobiles, oh, electric no. snowmobiles, oh, right? But that's not, that's not doing any good if they're covered on coal. Right. So, so our team decided to, to overcome this problem, and they, um, they set up a windmill, and they put up a solar panels. What? And, and they had to do both because uh, Longyearbyen, it's pitch dark there mm. in November, December, January, February, and into March. And from mid-April, there is midnight sun. But the combination of a windmill and solar panels is no covering over electric snowmobiles on Svalbard. So it is all sorts of things across over, over universe where over, over people really, really make a fantastic contribution to make us uh, as environmentally friendly as possible. But, but we, we aren't, our ships don't run on air yet. So, so we're using fuel, but we have to reduce the amount of it as much as possible. And we have to bridge the gap towards us becoming zero emissions. Mm. Oh my gosh. I want one of the snowmobiles so bad. <laughs> it, is, it is really cool to be on this, this snowmobiles. And we're introducing a lot of other new technology as well. Together with, with, with big companies around the world that supplies technology, we're testing new technology on boats and, uh, and other things we have up there to, to be in the forefront of new technology. Oh my gosh. So where I'm at now, so before we started chatting, I was just telling Daniel where I'm located and I'm right outside of Rocky Mountain National Park now. And the town I'm in, they like claim themselves as like the snowmobile capital of Colorado. <laughs> you should try getting an electric snowmobile. It's a fantastic experience. Oh my gosh. I bet they're so much quieter too, right? Than the... Absolutely. Oh, oh, I have to connect with you afterwards. Be like, okay, how do I get my hands on one of these awesome things? No, that's really cool. It's really cool. And so I think you, you kind of mentioned it too, when you have these like bigger initiatives, obviously you said that you're not, you're not there yet. So what still needs to be done to get to where you think is like the, whatever that big goal is and, and what is that big goal? Where, where do you want your ships and your company and, and your impact to be at? We want zero emissions. 
That's our clear target. And uh, the technology is just not there yet. And mm -hmm. our philosophy in that is starting to push the boundaries, reducing the gap. And that's the idea behind the battery hybrid uh, vessels that are like a first, second, third, fourth generation Toyota Prius, where you constantly push energy between the engines and the battery pack to optimize the fuel consumption. But we want to get further. We want to get to zero. Those ships aren't zero. They're, they're heavily reduced, but they're not zero. So as I mentioned, our first zero emission ship uh, should be on the water in 2030. That's a uh, carbon neutral scope, which means that the ship itself will deliver no emission, but the production of the ship will deliver emission. We've signed up for climate uh, science-based targets, and we are going to have a full carbon neutral scope one operation in 2040 across our entire fleet and scope three by 2050. So it's targets, which is a bit ahead, but to us, it's very important that we have a clear path to get there and that we are constantly investing in that target and not just putting it there because thinking, oh, no one will remember this by 2050 because the world is going in this direction. And I firmly believe that the companies who have a proactive approach to it will be far better off than the companies who just sit back and wait for regulation to come and catch up. We want to push regulation. We want to use other, other products or other technologies to show that regulation can come. And, and then we want to be pushing the tourism industry in this direction by, by proving that things are possible. Oh, yes. And this is why I definitely wanted to chat with you, because I feel like you all are, are leading the charge, like being the pioneers in this. Again, being in the same industry, I don't know really of any shipping company that is going to this level that you are. And I guess on that, what do you think is going to be required for all these other, we don't need to name names, but all these other big cruise companies to do something of what you're doing? What's it going to take? What do they have to do? Like, why aren't more cruise lines doing what you're doing? It's cost. That's the clear answer to it. All of them could reduce emissions massively by changing from heavy fuel oil to marine gas oil. Mm. And the sad truth is that most of them only do it when they're required to do so by regulation. And a lot of these ships have fuel tanks and they switch from heavy fuel oil to marine gas oil when they enter an area where regulators have said that you have to use marine gas oil. So, so the simple answer a sad answer to this, it's, it's all about costs. Mm. It's all about reducing the cost level as much as possible to be able to offer prices to their guests that are as low as possible. And when, when that kind of tourism, I think, will be on the decline going forward, I just think you have to accept as consumers to pay more for our products in, in the future um, because that will be needed in order for operators to do the necessary investments in green technology because it will cost more. Yeah, that, and that was my next question because I was thinking of who, who, who here? Are your consumers different? Like are the people on your ships, they, they're just more conscious of this? Or are they help fueling it? And then maybe the other companies just don't have that same pressure because I mean, consumerism just put like, that's the main driver for so many different things. So yeah, like, I kind of lost where I was going with that question, but <laughs> I guess, yeah, yeah, the people, the people aspect of this, do you think that they would have to change if their clients were asking for it or are some of them? Yeah, and I think that will happen to a larger and larger degree. And unfortunately, we're not there yet now. Um, I mean, for, for our guests, they are asking for it. We get a lot of guests who would not in a million years want to travel on a big 6,000 bed cruise ship. Oh my God, that's um, and yeah. so, so, so they just wouldn't want to choose that kind of product. And they come to us because they know that they can feel good when they choose us an, as an operator. But I also think it, it's, it, I think it's three forces which will fuel this growth, which makes me optimistic about the future. First of all, I think the guests will in the future make better decisions and choose operators who take this seriously. 
Second, I think regulators will step up. And we're, we're pushing regulators to, to, to enforce much stronger regulations because it, it's a bit sad to say, but again, back to my point on the dual tanks, regulations are making operators change faster. And, and lastly, what I also see around the world now is that the finance institution of the world, the banks, the ones financing vessels and infrastructure are starting to a much wider degree to be uh, more picky about who they finance. Hmm. I also think the finance institutions will play a role in this and that will create some, some really, really big change if uh, operators who uh, don't fill their ships with new technology, reducing emissions, aren't getting financing, they won't choose these solutions. Right. Do just, just out of curiosity, since you're so in the field, are there any rumors of that happening anytime soon? Or is this just a forecast that you see is probably coming? It's already happening. Mm. And we see it a lot amongst European banks. And they have it very high on the agenda that they, they, it's some industries they've stopped financing. They're, stopped, wow. they, they're not giving loans to them anymore because they are too polluting. And, and what, what, what I see is that, you know, this line will move. And eventually that will hit also cruise-based companies who is not doing the necessary investments on green technology. So, so customers, regulators, and finance institutions, I think that's a powerful combination that will create positive change. And I find that in, just extremely exciting that this pressure is starting to build. Because again, like being, being part of this world, the cruises have a really bad reputation for a lot of reasons. And it sucks because that is just another way to go see the natural world and, and, you know, create amazing protected areas because we are doing that. But so many cruise lines have been doing it wrong. And again, we're not going to name any names because that's, that's not the point here. But to hear that there is big change coming is very exciting. And then even more exciting is they have a model to look at. Be like, hi, we've been over here this whole time. You're finally reaching our level. Yeah, and, and and fortunately, I don't think that change is happening fast enough. So I'd love for the speed to change on, on this because it's going way too slow. But I also noticed uh, in my years following the industry, I mean, just back in 1819, this was topics that none of the cruise executives wanted to talk about. Mm. Overcrowding effects, pollution, emissions. They just didn't want to cover it at all. And that it is on the agenda now in 2022. And I think that's one of the silver linings of, of the period we've just been through is that this is a lot more on the agenda. You also have to make sure that in the financial difficult times that we are entering, as, as the Western world definitely are entering now, that this is not reduced. This focus is not reduced because it is not going fast enough. I'd love for this to go a lot faster. Right, right. I completely agree with that. And let's just say that somebody listening said the world is opening back up. COVID regulations are finally calming down. Thank God every single person in travel is like, uh, finally. So let's say that somebody listening right now, they are wanting to plan their next trip. And they're like, you know what? I want to take a cruise. What is something or like some tips that people should be looking for when they are starting to do research? Because Again, like, like saying someone like me, I, I've not taken many cruises before, like, well, actually, technically ever. I've done some other stuff with my former job, but like, I've never just like, I want to take a cruise to Alaska, you know? So what are some great tips and maybe some red flags that people should look for just to be a smart consumer so we can put the right pressure where we need to? And, and it's a great question. It's so much greenwashing out there that is the answer to it it's a lot of greenwashing and and if you look on 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 certain advertisements now you should think you know these big monster ships are running on 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 air and love let me take an example i was in my home city of oslo and in norway on our constitution day i was out with my partner and our two and a half year old son and we were out in a boat and just to look at you know the festivities in the city and there's a huge monster ship docked in front of the entire city. Mm. It, it basically takes up the entire cityscape. 
Oslo, which is the capital of Norway. And this cruise line, it's, it's 8,000 people capacity on this ship. It's a monster ship. <laughs> and they've, they've got the guts to paint green cruising at the side of, of, of the ship. And that's not what you, you know, uh, think about when, when you see this, this ship with the invading hordes of people being offloaded on, on, on the port. So, so there's an enormous amount. So I'd say a few, few ground rules. Stay away from the monster ships. They aren't creating anything good. There's an enormous amount of emissions, and it's also overcrowding small societies. Mm-hmm. In another example to that on the monster ships, uh, as I mentioned, we have a substantial activity in Longyearbyen, the northernmost city on the planet. And in Longyearbyen, 2,000 people lives. And it's a, it's a funny link because we, we, we sometimes say there is more polar bears in Svalbard than people. And there's about 5,000 people in the wider area. Five, sorry, 5,000 polar bears and 2,000 people. <laughs> and, you know, think about what it does to this community when a ship with 8,000 people on board comes into, into town. And, and I've been there when these ships are visiting and it's just garbage left. You just see a vast amount of garbage left. Uh, when the hordes are coming back to uh, back to their their ship, and the value created is next to nothing. So, so I'd say first, ground stay away from the monster ships. Uh, second, look through the greenwashing. Look at what the company is actually doing, not what they're saying they're gonna do. Mm. So, so that's that's to pretty clear advice and try to try to choose ships with new technology. Uh, battery hybrid ships is, is a sign that the cruise line is doing an effort, that they're doing investments. But it's also companies that say they have hybrid ships that doesn't have this technology. So, so again, it is, it is challenging. And lastly, I'd look for companies who is leaving values in communities that they're visiting. Sourcing locally, employing locally, having that focus will also give, give you a much better experience because... When their ship comes into port, they're welcomed like friends. And there is oh, sadly a lot of experiences where cruise ships come into port and uh, they're seen as the enemy, mm. deservedly, I'd say, in, in, in many places. Oh, wow. Those were so good. Those were awesome. Those are awesome. And yes, thank you for sharing that because I feel like that that is very, very important too. It, it, the greenwashing is is horrible anymore. And so just having a few tips like that, when we are doing that Google search, when we are planning, because, you know, especially the rewildology community and everyone listening, we are more conscious about this stuff. But sometimes it's just overwhelming when you're essentially being lied to. And you're like, I don't know how to look through that. And to know that there are some things that we can look for is awesome. I mean, of course, going on any of your expeditions, you know that there's certain companies where if you go with them, then you don't have to worry about it, which is always number one. But if there is somebody just doing a Google search, like what what should we be looking for? Who should we? It, it is difficult. Offer? It is more difficult than it should be these days. Mm, mm, I'm sure you've seen it. <laughs> oh, like, yes. You bet. You is, bet. Is there sometimes where you just like pull out an ad or like a something you just go show your colleagues and be like, Yes, <laughs> it was certainly is. I took a picture of this ship with green cruising and showed my colleagues. I'm like, look at this. Oh, we do that all the time, too. So that's why I was like, I'm sure you do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so let's 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 turn the tables back to your company really fast again. And I really want to take a second to talk about this question because I'm a biologist and I actually studied citizen science in tourism specifically, well, on safari. So a little different of a landscape, literally. But I would love to talk about your programs a little bit. So one, why did you all feel like this was worth investing in? And what are some of, what are some of the science that you all are doing and collecting? Like, what are your tourists doing? Like, I just, yes, please teach us about your citizen science program because I'm very interested. We're going to do a lot more about it. We see that we hit a nerve on, on this topic, that this is something that is really engaging over guests. So, so first of all, we are the only cruise line that has a chief scientist employed. Wow. And uh, she's a fantastic uh, lady, uh, Verena. 
And she's in charge of all the science programs that we have and all the collaborations that we have. Uh, all of our expedition ships are equipped with science centers. Uh, so uh, they're, they're instead, we don't have a casino in any of our ships, but we do have science centers. Wow. And um, in these science centers, you know, mostly they're for our citizen science projects and, and teaching our guests about the destinations we're in and letting them do citizen science. But we also have PhDs from science institutions uh, writing their theses on board our ships. And they're using our labs on board for their science work. So, so it's so it's twofold, and and you know, our ambition is to create ambassadors, to create ambassadors of the region, and citizen science is, is a part of that. So, so the longest consecutive work we have uh, goes, as I mentioned, back to the 1930s of taking water samples on the Norwegian coast. We also take water samples now in all areas we sail to, uh, collecting data from the water in in the regions we uh, we sail to. But some of the other things we're doing, uh, guests are reporting animal life. So, uh, and that's populating science databases. And uh, we're cooperating with a project called Happy Way. Oh, uh, that's an well. app. Yeah, <laughs> that's an app. And our guests take part in, in using that. We supported the project through the Gluten Foundation as well. Oh. Uh, we also support the Penguin Watch project. Uh, that uh, Because we are so many places. And when our guests make these observations and they populate the databases with it. It's really valuable for, for scientists. Uh, we do uh, measuring the plankton level in the waters we sail, and that's a project we do together with uh, Fjord Phyto. Um, uh, Allison on. That is yeah, so oh yeah, yeah. Is, this, uh, is our uh, key representative <laughs> on that. She's taken so many of our guests uh, on citizen science boats. Oh, Allison, I can't wait to tell her about this. <laughs> And, and then another example, our guests do observational disguise, uh, taking pictures, analyzing cloud formations and, and sending that back. So, so it's a multitude of science institutions we're cooperating with. And I think this is just a start. We'll do this to a much wider degree uh, going forward because it's really engaging our guests. It's a learning thing. And it, again, it's creating ambassadors for the region. And, and we're doing something really good on, on top of being uh, at cruise and expedition cruise. Absolutely. It's, it's just impossible going f on the other side of this. You know, the researchers, they just can't be everywhere at once. But safari vehicles, cruise ships, travelers, we are everywhere. We are seeing, and especially nature-based tourism, you know, people who are going to see these natural areas, we're seeing things that there's no way a researcher could see. So I can only imagine how many... I mean, well, actually, do you know? Do you know how many like data points or how many things that your travelers have input into these systems or any statistics like it's, that? It's a massive amount of data points being being created. And, and I 100% agree with you on, you know, let's use all the tourists out there, whether it's safari or expedition cruise or, or whether they are. And, and Happy Whale is such a cool example of an app that easily makes this accessible to you. Uh, on, on the deck of a ship, for instance, just making these photos and populating the databases. And, and you know, that's a very powerful tool for the scientists to, to use. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Allison, like I said, she's an episode uh, 75 guest. I love her. I absolutely adore yeah. her, her work. Like she literally couldn't do her PhD work. She, she couldn't physically do these things if it wasn't for your company, essentially. And yeah. It's like it. Uh, it's, it's, fan it's a fantastic story with Alice. And, and, and not only does she do citizen science with our guests and doing her own science, but she's also holding lecture for our guests uh, on her project when she's on board our ships. So, so it's, it's a fantastic uh, collaboration that we have. I had literally no clue. <laughs> Alice, this is unbelievable. I just love, I swear to God, that we are people in conservation in this world we're like one to two connections away from everybody I yes. very much so very much so yeah oh that is fantastic so let's just take a second and I want I want to switch the gears a little bit and, and chat more about you and your story so obviously I'm sure that being a CEO while that title is phenomenal and you have you've done so many incredible things there's no way that your road has been easy or straight or anything like that. Do you, is there a struggle that you've had to go through and overcome that you would be okay sharing with us? Just, just 
yeah, just anything that maybe you've had that was kind of difficult that you're proud of to get through. Right. I think, you know, it's, 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 as I, as I said initially, it's not a direct line uh, of neither my life or my career. I, I think the last years with COVID has been by far the most challenging time. Um, and, you know, we had to do some really, really tough decisions during, during COVID. We were, we were going from full steam and every, every lamp was green to full stop in a matter of days. We, we, we had to uh, give a lot of our employees temporary leave. We had to lay off almost all our ships and, you know, close the door on most of, of our products. And, and making that announcement is, is that probably my, my toughest decision ever. Mm. But seeing, you know, how dedicated our people are and musicians during this period, which I'm happy about because we have more people than we need to do. And we paid more than we needed to. Um, and we make some conscious decision along this path, even if it cost us money at the time that, you know, the company is just drained of money. That meant that we were able to get most of our great people back when the business was opening again. But I'd say these, these two and a half years, my, my beard used to be black before <laughs> these, uh, these, these last two and a half years. It's been a massive, massive challenge for the industry, for our people, and not knowing when to come back uh, and all the uncertainty out there. I think none of my previous experiences compared to the to the last uh, two and a half years. Oh, I can only fathom. I guess I used to work for a pretty big, well-known conservation tourism company that was owned by a well-known shipping company. So I was directly affected by these decisions. So I can only imagine the sleepless nights that you had to essentially suffer through to get through this hellacious time especially not knowing the timeline but knowing that you were able to bring people back like that's that's wonderful because but hearing all the stories of people you know that that had to leave their job that had uncertainty that had to sell their home and you know all all that all the all the people that's been affected by the last two and a half years, their stories, it, it's, it's strong to hear. But it's also really, really strong to see everyone back on the ships, on the hotels, on the products with, you know, guests around them and, and doing what they love. That's, that's also very, very powerful to, to see and makes me truly happy. Yeah, I feel like us in this industry, what's the word I'm looking for? it's it's more precious now like we're more grateful for those moments because before i'm just like thinking back to 2019 when everything was just steaming ahead like mm. full stride all all parts of tourism was just going berserk and yeah. then march 2020 it halts like comes to a grinding stop and i think now just getting those reports back from the field just they they feel they just, I don't know. I'm just so much more grateful for them now, you know, just. Yeah, and, and, you know, seeing the guests as well return and, and seeing over, over, over people in the company, meeting the guests again and returning guests and seeing, you know, the passion and the love for each other. It, it is really, really nice to see. So I think everyone has come back after these years, just appreciating everything more yeah. than we might have done before, before COVID. And, and you know, also on sustainability. It, it's been an awakening for many people over the last two years, seeing blue skies for the first time, seeing, you know, the streams with, with, with the proper blue color that it should have. And, you know, seeing stars on, on the skies for the first time. It's, it's been a bit of an epiphany for a lot of people, I think, during, during these last uh, two and a half years. Yeah. And if anything, tourism is coming back even stronger in a way because all of us had this realization that we might not be able to go to these places again and yes. this might be our last time <laughs> and so go do it now <laughs> yeah and, and I, I i you know i would never say that that these two and a half years has been good for for anything but but that's that's the silver lining of it people have been reading up and dreaming about these type of places and and i think people have realized that you know overcrowded places and this kind of mass tourism that we saw uh, on its most negative uh, in some places before before covid is not sustainable 
Right, right. And that's super powerful as well. So staying on you, what would you say is your ultimate goal then? Like, why do you get out of bed every day? It's a great question. I think for me, it's building a company, which is a positive force for change. I, I think that's my, my main driver. So creating something that has a lasting impact on our sector, that changes tourism for good, uh, is, is my, my main force. That, that's really giving me a lot of energy. And, and the second thing is over people. Meeting them, doing what they love on board our ships, in our hotels, seeing them, talking to them, being with them. I think those two things is, is great. And when I have miserable times in the office and <laughs> endless meetings, and then what I do, I get out with our products, with our people, and I just need to spend a day. And then I'm feeling good again and come back to, can go back to the office and, and, and do what I need to do in this, in this role. Yeah, there's a lot of not sexy stuff is what I say. Pretty much. Oh, it is. It is a lot of non-sexy stuff in this. In this role, and but being on board, being in the in the field with our people is what gives me is me energy. Mm, that's wonderful. Yeah, so many people are like, "Oh, where are you at now?" I'm like, "Trust me, I am still in the office." I <laughs> so I, this next question, I'm really excited to ask you, especially after hearing how courageous you were and getting your role. Imposter syndrome is very real. And I've come to find after sitting down with so many people now, it's very common in conservation and sustainability. So seeing, you know, everything that you've accomplished and going through so much, what advice or message would you like to share with anyone listening? I've heard a lot about imposter syndrome. And, and I think, you know, don't worry too much about what people around you are thinking. Worry mostly about having fun on what you're doing and make sure your work gives you more energy than it takes mm. or you should change what, what you do. So, so I, I think, you know, I've seen a lot of people, especially leaders, to identify so much with their title or their position that that's their only persona. And, and for me, I've always made sure that my life is a lot more than my title or my position. I've never, never in my life got energy from a title or a position. I've gotten energy from having fun, creating change. And, and that's, that's been a consecutive path on all my jobs. From I started as, you know, an, a gate agent at the airport, I had proper fun. <laughs> Even if I did it to earn money for social activities, extracurricular activities at my business school, it's, it, it was proper fun. And if you don't have fun anymore, stop doing it and not identify fully with, with, with job or a title and, and surround yourself with people doing completely different things. And I especially think that's important. Also in our field, surround, surround ourselves with people who do completely different things to get a different perspective on things. Uh, that, that's really, really valuable. And I find I actually can have use for it in my, in my work as well. A lot of my friends don't have any idea what you know, I do at work. <laughs> they, they know what I do as a title, but they don't know what it is. And that's fantastic. It's refreshing. And I learn from them on completely other things. Oh, gosh, yes. That was so good. That was so good. I advocate for that as well. It's like, it's, uh, do the people surrounding you look like you, act like you, have the same political views as you, do what you do? And if that's the case, then maybe you should mix it up a little bit because yes. you never know what ideas will come or perspective yeah. you'll get if you sit down with someone else. Diversity is, is really important. It's important at work, but it's also important in your social life to, to have people who have contrary ideas or occupations or meanings. And, and, you know, learn from them and, uh, and uh, it makes you understand a lot of, of, of uh, other meanings easier. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh, Daniel, I feel like we could sit down and chat all day. Hopefully next time we're chatting, it's actually with like a glass of wine or a whiskey or something that would be... With, with a fantastic nature outsiders, right? That, that'd yes. be great. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. 
So with that, how can someone maybe follow you, follow your work, maybe get hold of the Hurtigruden group? I was very well, very well pronounced. I've been practicing, but I've been kind of nervous <laughs> to say it out loud. But how can someone maybe even look at your expeditions or maybe want to travel with you or maybe see what the company's doing? What is the best way for someone to do that? So that'll be looking at our social media. So if they want to see what I'm doing, I share on Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, and if they want to see what goes on in our company, we have uh, some great Instagram sites uh, and Facebook sites and LinkedIn sites for our three main businesses. And that's Hurtigruten, Hurtigruten Expeditions and Hurtigruten Svalbard. And it's a lot of fantastic content posted every day on, on this site. So that gives a good idea about a lot of what's happening in, uh, in the group. Oh, it's fantastic. And as always, we'll have all of those links at the show notes. If someone's like, how do you spell that? I'll make sure it's all there. The links are there. It'll be great. And also all the links to your sustainability initiatives and your company as well. But Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time again to sit down with me, to sit down the Rewildology community and teach us about sustainable cruising. Thank you very much, Brooke. This was a blast. Who else feels like they can finally go on a cruise guilt-free? I personally struggled a lot with the cruising industry before meeting Daniel, and I'm very grateful to have him on the show and reassure us that there are cruise companies out there that are at the forefront of sustainable cruising. To learn more about Herta Gruten's sustainable initiatives and to maybe book a cruise for yourself, check out the show notes for this episode at rewildology.com and click on the links to the company's websites. If you have a specific question you'd like to discuss about today's topic, head on over to the Rewildology YouTube channel and submit your question in the comment section of today's episode. Some of you have reached out and asked how you can support the show. Well, I'm happy to share that there are several ways to do so. Some zero-cost ways include subscribing to the podcast on your favorite streaming app, leaving a rating and review to boost the algorithm, which will present the podcast to more listeners, signing up for the weekly Rewildology newsletter at Rewildology.com, subscribing to the YouTube channel, and following the show on your favorite social media app. If you would like to financially support the show and help us keep these stories on the airwaves, consider making a monetary donation at the website or purchase a piece of swag to show off your Rewildology love. At least 10% of proceeds from this podcast will be donated to our conservation partners. I'd also like to extend a special thanks to Heather Valley, the show's audio and video producer for making the show sound and look awesome and focus right for powering the podcast sound. If you'd like to see the focus right gear we use to record the show, head on over to rewildology.com and check out nature podcasting under the resources tab. Until next time, friends together, we'll rewild the planet. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet. <laughs> <laughs>